Um, his wife is Angelica, our new administrative assistant to Pastor Dave. They both come to us from Davis College, and he received his degree in religious education. So let's give him a warm welcome to our stage. Yes, thank you for that mighty fine introduction. Um, yes, I am uh, Will Krems. Uh, you may, again, you may know me by my street name, which is husband to the administrative assistant. Um, but that's basically how I introduce myself every single time around here, because, uh, you know, she's famous and I'm not, and that's okay. So, um, <laughs> well, as we get started this morning, I really just thought to myself, does anybody else get really, really freaked out in the time between Christmas and New Year's? It's like, you do not know what to do with your life. Like, does anybody else have that problem? Because, like, like, I see people even this morning, and I'm like, should I wish you Merry Christmas, or is that, like, not a thing anymore? And I think to myself, you know, my wife and I, we've been here for about a year now, and I was thinking, man, I love this church. Um, I don't know, Pastor Dave was at the bottom of his list of guest speakers, I guess, and he was like, let's get Will in here. Um, and I just thought to myself, you know, what can I do for this church to show my appreciation? And I said, you know what, I have to give them a gift. I have to bring a gift to SEC, and I thought, what better gift than week after week you sit here as Dave rages about the Patriots, and I said, you know what, I have a gift for you, and I went to embed it into my um, PowerPoint, and it didn't really let me because, I don't know, somebody probably paid off some refs like Patriots fans often do, and um, I thought, I'm gonna, you know what, this is important enough that I'm going to have to bring it up separately, and uh, let me just set the scene here. It's uh, February 2008, and the Patriots are about to complete a complete season of perfect perfection. No other team had done it before except, like, the Dolphins in the 70s, and it was a shorter season and stuff like that. But they are about to complete a perfect season, and then, um, well, something happens. And so I'll let you and hopefully Dave, when he watches this, after, right before he fires me, Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Inside the 25 and a timeout taken. Oh, my God. This ball's thrown and Tyree just goes up for it. Like the a great Tyree helmet catch. And we'll just kind of scroll ahead a little bit. Yeah, Joe Buck, nobody cares. All right. Remember, Patriots are undefeated at this point. They need one more game. There it is. Well, one more time? No, no, no. I'm just kidding. We'll, uh, we'll have Pastor Dave watch that later, so uh, I hope he appreciates it. Um, you know, I thought that would be good to just watch. I'm not even a Giants fan, <laughs> but I thought, I was like, but, but I, well, we can join together in not only Holy Spirit unity, but that we all kind of hate the Patriots, right? <laughs> and uh, so, but I guess I should get started for what I can't. Oh, oh, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, um, he can take a look at that, too. So, uh, um, again, I'm not a Giants fan, but I just sit over there, you know, half awake, and I'm like, man, I can't take this anymore. 
But yes, if you do want to hear more about Dave Ray, you know, bragging about the Patriots and everything, you can get a CD. There's podcasts, uh, YouTube, all that good stuff. I recommend getting a CD from Guest Services because there is a really pretty lady that works over there. So uh, if you want to head that direction, you can. Um, we're going to be working out of Jeremiah chapter 28 today. And um, I know Dave, he has a much more of a topical kind of message and we kind of go through different things. Um, I encourage you to open up to Jeremiah 28 if you can, uh, uh, page 45, 545 on the Rack Bibles. And if you need a Bible, please take that with you. That is our gift from, you, uh, from SCC to you. Um, please have a copy of um, God's Word. That would be really important. Um, but I encourage you to open up today because we're actually going to kind of, what the big Bible scholars would say is more, this is more of an exegetical kind of sermon in the sense that we're going to kind of stick around in chapter 28 and kind of go through it in a story kind of mode, right? Um, so I won't be skipping around too much, but I do want to give some context first. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is just Jeremiah. If you're unfamiliar, he was a prophet of God. Um, he kind of has a famous name of the weeping prophet, right? Because oftentimes he had a very terrible life. He always just brought bad news. We're going to look at it more. And he always brought just news that people didn't want to hear. And uh, he also wrote the book of Lamentations. And if you read that book, that is very depressing. Uh, if you look at his life, and I, you know, I go to the chiropractic college, and we talk about clinical depression very often. And we know that depression is a very, mental health is very big in our, in our healthcare system right now. And if you look at Jeremiah's life, if he was around today, you could have diagnosed him with clinical depression. You could have, 100%. And it, you look at a lot of what he had to do in life, and you could kind of see why. And we look at, I want to just read, it's not up on the screen, but um, I want to share with you a quick verse in Jeremiah chapter 1. We have the calling of Jeremiah. And it says, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And so we have this idea that Jeremiah says that he is a youth. And when we think about it, we don't know what age he was, but I kind of wanted to point this out because Jeremiah, we don't know his age, but it says that he's a youth. And if you remember, in Jewish culture, you were considered an adult right around 13, 14 years old. And so we have an idea here that maybe he was younger than that when he was called to be a prophet of God. Um, you know, that doesn't mean his ministry started directly right after, but is there a chance that maybe he was called to be a prophet of God at 12 years old? That'd be pretty wild. I mean, again, we don't know these things, but it's just something to think about. Um, and we think about his calling. Uh, again, I think in our culture, we consider maybe 18 as an adult, but uh, Jewish culture could have been different. And so I want you to keep that idea when we think about a calling. And even in calling in my own life, I hope that you guys have a calling. Something else that you do besides work or besides something else, maybe even a hobby, but there's a calling. For many of you, maybe it's being a father or being a mother. For many of us, maybe it's just serving in this church. I hope that's one of your callings. I really hope so. My calling came... Uh, to me, well, I should say one of my callings. One of my callings came to me in the form of a great thing we know today is video games. Yes, it is true. I'm a 26-year-old man, and this past Christmas, I got three video games because my brother-in-laws, and they all know that that's what I do with a lot of my spare time. And I want to kind of share, uh, this is kind of a funny story, but when it comes to the calling of myself with video games, this is how I see it. I have two older brothers. 
I have two older sisters, two older brothers, and I have a younger sister. I'm five of six children. I don't know what my parents were thinking. But anyways, my two older brothers, they treated me like any two good older brothers do, with compassion and caring, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, you all know where I was going with that one. Yeah. No, they beat the crap out of me all the time. All the time. In fact, I will give you an idea of what this was like. They had a game called Lincoln, okay? This was an actual game that they made up. And there were no rules except the fact that the two of them were John Wilkes Booth and I was Lincoln. <laughs> Fill in the gaps. They usually just be, like, I'd be minding my own business, like every good little brother does, right? You know, minding my own business. And they'd come up to me like, hey, let's play Lincoln. And they would just beat me up for no reason. I couldn't, it was wild to me. But anyways, when I was, I don't know, whatever age I was, and anyone, if you ask anyone, you can ask the McDonald boys, you could ask anybody that hangs out with me, I have a particular video game that just really changed my life. And it was the very good Super Smash Bros. I remember getting it for the Nintendo 64. My dad got it through his office, I think a patient of his. And I remember playing this game, and I always played as the good old Donkey Kong. All right, and here he is in all his 64-bit glory. And I even had, when I was a kid, I stole one of my dad's red ties, and I wrote DK on it with yellow marker, which he was super excited about. And um, I did that, and I used to wear it around, and I'd walk on my fizz, all this stuff. But I did this because Donkey Kong in this game had a big wind-up punch that he had, right? You'd, like, wind it up, and when you wanted to go hit somebody, you would just go, and he would just nail him, right? And one time, I'm playing this game with my brothers. I'm, of course, getting beat because they're better than me at everything. And one day, I realized we were, both had one life, we're coming into it, and then out of nowhere, I use this wind-up punch on my older brother. Boom, his character goes off screen, and I had won the game. And that is when the heavens opened up. God descended upon me like a dove and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> and that is my video game career, and that is my calling, and that is why I, have, I play lots of video games. And that's just kind of a funny story to just kind of figure out that I hope you have a calling in life. And please, if you're looking for that calling, seek guidance in this church. But as we look at chapter um, 28, I wanted to just share with you that Jeremiah is always bringing bad news, right? He's always bringing bad news. And kind of an example of that is actually in chapter 13. Again, these verses should be up on the screen. But Jeremiah is the, he delivers bad news all the time. And if you read chapter 13, verse 10, and it's up on the screen, it says, This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. Uh, loincloth is another name for underwear. So if you think about it, the context to this story is Jeremiah goes, because I hope that all preachers everywhere always use imagery. And why do we use imagery? Because God did the same. I mean, you look at Jesus' life, and you look at God's life, he's constantly like, hey, you're not going to get it, so I'm going to bring imagery into your life. And so we have this um, loincloth story goes like this. God comes down to Jeremiah, and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to buy some underwear, and I want you to wear it for a while. And so he puts it on, and he wears it for a while, and he says, okay, I want you to take that underwear off, and I want you to throw it in a ditch somewhere. And so he takes it off, he throws it in a ditch somewhere. And then after some time later, he says, pick up that underwear. I want you to bust into the king's court. I want you to throw it at his feet and say, you know what? You're as good as that underwear. I'm, you know, we've all seen the movies. Watch like Braveheart or like, I don't know, Game of Thrones, anything. We knew that kings were like the top dog that day, right? They were worshiped as gods. We all know that, right? 
And if you are some person that busts into a king's court, you throw dirty underwear at his feet and say, hey, God thinks you're as good as that stuff because you're good for nothing. That's going to cause some problems. That's going to cause something to be depressed about, right? This delivery, he's always the deliverer of bad news. And as we close into where we're going to be talking today, Jeremiah 27, 6 talks, now I have given all these lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a Babylonian, he's a Gentile, right? And he has brought the Israelites into captivity. And what he has done is he has actually taken vessels and treasures out of the temple. And if we think about those vessels and treasures, it's all these things that uh, Solomon made, you know, maybe they're goblets or treasures, lampstands. They're all these things that are so valuable to the Jewish culture, so valuable to the Israelites. Um, I, I don't know how to compare it to today, but it's something that wrapped up their culture. Me, the best example I can give you is my family, or my wife's family is very Italian, right? Um, my, uh, I met my wife's cousins, uh, like, uh, they're like great cousins or something from Italy uh, last Christmas, and like, her, the grandmother's name was Arcangela, and I think their last name is Romanelli. You know, I mean, if there's anything more Italian, like, yeah, that's it. And I said to myself, how could I compare this? When I think about the vessels being stolen, because Babylon has come in and put the Israelites into captivity, all I think of is like me running into the kitchen and stealing all the pasta and garlic out of my mother-in-law's kitchen. That's what I think of. Like if I just stole all the pasta and garlic and ran out the door, I think the whole house would collapse. You know what I mean? And that's what I think of when I think of this idea when, you know, the vessels are taken out. So the Jewish people are just, they, they don't even know what to do themselves because Gentiles are running the temple. Like this is absolutely insane. And so more or less, Jeremiah comes in and he says, now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Because they're thinking to themselves, what, what has the devil done, right? What has the, the bad people done that caused this problem for us? And Jeremiah comes in and goes, no, 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 you got it all wrong. God is using Gentiles to get your attention. And that's not good news to them. Because he's saying your captivity is designed by God. Your captivity is designed that way. And that's not a good thing. And so what he says, he says, you are oppressed. You have been oppressed by God, and he wants it that way. And he says, uh, in chapter 27, he actually throws on a yoke. And luckily, because I'm all about visual learning, uh, I have this right here. Jeremiah comes busting in. I don't even know how to wear this thing. But he comes busting in like this with a yoke on his shoulders, and he says, hey, this oppression, this burden that I'm feeling right now, I'm feeling it because God has put it here. You know, this wasn't the devil. This wasn't any bad, like, you know, bad guy. This wasn't a villain. No, the God you worship and serve, or you're supposed to anyways, has put this yoke upon us because you will not turn and worship him, and you're turning to false idols, right? And, of course, this world is a fake and broken place. We know that. I mean, any of you, you know, you probably experienced it in the past week of things that have not gone well for you. And we think about that with this world that's fake and broken, we have Jeremiah 28, 2 and 3. Because as Jeremiah preaches the word and he tells people that we are under oppression, there's a false prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah comes in and he says what's there on the screen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon, right? And so this is not Jeremiah here. This is, king, this is the false prophet Hananiah. And he's saying to Jeremiah, you know what? That, that's all a lie. I'm going to take the yoke 
that Jeremiah is carrying around, and I'm going to break it, and all those vessels, right, all the garlic and all the pasta, I'm bringing it back within two years. And it's this false claim. And I know that in your life, my life, we've seen fake and broken people all the time. If you don't think there's fake Christians out there, you haven't watched the news. Because honestly, lots of times the fake Christians is all that makes the media. And it's very upsetting. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but you look at anybody that's trying to preach false gospel, like, I think the one that comes up the most, and I'm, I'm sorry if you're a big fan of him, but like a guy like Joel Olstein. If you listen to what he has to say, it's really a prosperity gospel. It's fake. But I'll tell you, he's got a big church. He's got a lot of people. A lot of people love it. And, but it's a fake. It's a broken gospel. Because the gospel is Jesus Christ came and died for you, sacrificed himself on the, on the cross, rose three days later. If you add or take away anything from that, you have a false gospel. And so when we think about false prophets in our own life, I kind of wanted to just play this video for you guys as I, uh, <laughs> some of you are going to find this hilarious and then others are going to be like, what did we just watch? But um, I think it's very funny. I'm Leos. Leos. I'm from Israel. And what are you going to be doing for us today? I'm a mentalist. I do telekinesis. What's it called? Telekinesis. 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 Am I saying this correctly? Well, yes, you're saying it with correct. an Israeli accent. Well, how do you, how, what it's is tele- it? Telekinesis. 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 I'm so, moving objects with my mind. Okay. So, do you think this is worth a million dollar act? You are the judges. Good answer. Go for it. I don't have any more questions. I'm so intrigued. Get him. <laughs> He's very serious. Is he serious?
And they just go on and argue about him for like 10 minutes or whatever. Simon actually takes back his ex, and he passes that round. Um, he goes on a couple more rounds. Again, I didn't follow his act, but you see, you kind of got the idea of what a false prophet is, right? He's up there and like saying he's moving all this stuff, right? And so this is the same idea. Hananiah comes in and he's saying these things. And now, I mean, imagine the argument. You're in the king's court. You're in front of all the people. And then these two guys start arguing, right? One's delivering bad news. He's standing there like I'm standing now with a giant yoke on his shoulder. And he's saying, hey, like, there's going to be bad news happening in this place. And the other one says, actually, there's going to be good news. And so you kind of think to yourself, who do you want to believe, right? And so we have Jeremiah's response to all this. And Jeremiah's first response is that, you know this world is going to be broken, so be prepared for it. Be prepared. A classic line that many of us know. I don't know if any of you guys were Boy Scouts. I was actually a Boy Scout, believe it or not, for like a couple years, but that was because my mom ran the program and she like made me do it. And like I signed up because I was thinking to myself like, oh, you know what? It's going to be camping and we're going to like catch fish and we're going to do all these like manly things. And I was so excited. And that's not what it was at all. Like, all I remember is going to, like, meetings and trying to sell popcorn to everybody when my sister was selling cookies, which is what everybody wanted anyways, right? And I had to play this video just because I think this really sums up what being a Boy Scout really was. Order now. You get the camera. You get the printer. 4X optical zoom. Schneider lens. Photo printer. SD card. Good afternoon. My name is Russell, and I am a wilderness explorer in Tribe 54, Sweat Lodge 12. Are you in need of any assistance today, sir? No. I could help you cross the street. No. I could help you cross your yard. No. I could help you cross your porch. No. Well, I gotta help you cross something. Uh, no, I'm doing fine. Good afternoon. My name is uh, Russell, and I am a wilderness explorer in Tri-54. Slow down. Wet Lodge 12. Kid! Are you in need of Thank any you, but I don't need any help. Ow. Proceed. Good afternoon. Let's skip to the end. See these? These are my wilderness explorer badges. You may notice one is missing. It's my assisting the elderly badge. If I get it, I will become a senior wilderness explorer. The wilderness must be explored! Go, go! It's gonna be... There's being a Boy Scout in a nutshell, if you were wondering. But yeah, he says, to, you know what? This world is broken, so be prepared. Lots of times in our life, we end up, like, things happen, and yeah, I mean... Yeah, things happen, and some stuff, we can't be prepared for everything. But Jeremiah's first response to all this is you got to be ready because false prophets are all around us, right? That's why we come to church. Hopefully, that's why we're coming to church on Sundays. That's why we're coming to church on other days um, or, you know, for participating in Awana maybe or coming to youth group because he says Jeremiah has his response, and it's a response to Hananiah that's almost sarcastic at first. He's saying, amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true. Jeremiah is trying to tell him that, you know, I wish I could bring good news. After all I've been through, I mean, what, a couple chapters ago, I was busting in here throwing dirty underwear at your feet. I wish I could bring good news like this. I wish I could bring news that was something you could get excited about. 
but it's just not what the Lord has for me. And then he says in uh, verse 9 of chapter 28, As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. He's asking you to be prepared, and you can think of it like this. He's saying, if I prophesied famine and war, which all the other prophets have done in the past, just FYI, right? But if I come through and I say, hey, there's going to be a great famine, and you prep for it, and there's not one, what have you really lost? I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, what, you got storage of food now? Like, not a lot has, you haven't lost a lot. But if you flip it on its head, and I say that there's going to be a famine, and you don't prepare for it, now we have a real issue. And plus, Hananiah has no accreditation. He's prophesying peace but there is not peace. And the only way we can know if Hananiah is true or not is if there is peace, and then we'll know from there. Like, oh, okay, you prophesied peace. It came. Now we can listen to what you have to say. And that doesn't really happen here. And so Jeremiah calls him out. He calls him out as a false prophet. He's like, what you're saying is not what the Lord has brought. And obviously from there, you're looking for a response from Hananiah, which kind of comes, but it's not very verbal. Because he ends up, Jeremiah and him have this argument, and you can see how the response that Jeremiah has to that as well. So basically what happens after Jeremiah calls him a false prophet, Hananiah comes up out of nowhere, and then it says here in verse 10, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And I have no idea how this went down, but I just imagine these bars that I have on my shoulders right now, I imagine Hananiah just coming up, taking this thing, and, I mean, he probably, like, threw it, obviously, but I just imagine, like, over his knee, you know what I mean? Like, a karate chop, breaking him in half, and, like, making a statement, right? There is no way I could do that. If I could demonstrate that to you, I would. But I think Bill would be mad at me, too, because I don't know what he does with this, but I wouldn't want to break it. But all I know is this is the point of the story where I can take this off. So, but I hope you get this idea that, you know, he comes up and he tries to make a statement because let's imagine that me and somebody else are arguing. What if Pastor Dave was up here and he started preaching and then some guy just started arguing out of nowhere? You know, the, most of us would feel really uncomfortable. We would get little kind of, we'd start squirming in our seats. I don't think any of us would leave because I think, you know, we kind of like the drama. You know, call the petting zoo, the drama llamas out because there's this idea that you're coming through and like you're watching this altercation go down and you want to stick around. Because Hananiah says one thing, Jeremiah comes back and says another, Hananiah is saying, I'm being called out, so he takes the bars that are on Jeremiah's neck, breaks them in half, throws them down, and you're expecting, here's Jeremiah, like he's probably so mad at this point, how does he respond? And we can see it at the end of that paragraph, um, 11b, but Jeremiah the prophet went his way. There's no response from Jeremiah right away. And I think that's really interesting to sit and talk about that for just a second because we have this incredible altercation. This is in front of the king's court and all his people. If you read the whole story, it's all listed there, that everyone's around. And for a second, maybe Hananiah looks like he won the argument because Jeremiah doesn't respond with words. It just says he leaves the place. He doesn't know what to do. Maybe he's thinking, but I think Jeremiah is wise enough at this point. He's saying, you know what? I'm, if I respond, I'm only going to respond with my own words. I want to respond with biblical words. So I think that's what he tries to do here. And when we look, um, when it comes to responding biblically to opinions we don't like, I think Jeremiah has a great way of just taking a second to breathe. I know Proverbs tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. I can, there's so many times where 
you know, you go to respond to something and you realize like if you just took a breath, thought about what you were going to say, you would have a much better answer. And lots of times as Christians, we don't really, we don't do this very well. And it's not just Christians. I mean, I think it's as people, right? I can think of, this is kind of a dumb example, but I kind of want to bring it up. I don't know if you guys remember a couple Christmases ago, like where Starbucks came out with like red cups and there, there was this huge altercation because like Christians were like boycotting Starbucks, probably not Pastor Dave, but like most Christians were boycotting Starbucks because Starbucks had red cups. And now I want to cut Christians a little slack on this because Honestly, once again, it was more, I think it was just the media that was saying this whole thing was going down because 99% of the Christians I talked to were like, we don't care if they have red cups. You know, it's not a big deal, right? But it was this idea that there were a couple or whatever, or it was one guy that just got a whole place worked up. He was all fired up about these red cups at Starbucks saying they were trying to get rid of Christmas. And like, I don't know, I'm, this is kind of my opinion, I guess, more a little bit, but I'm thinking to myself, Starbucks isn't run by Christians. I mean, like, what do you expect kind of thing? And so what is your response to that biblically? The response that when something doesn't go your way, do you just freak out? Because we are held to a higher standard as Christians. I hope that we see that. I kind of wanted to share this story. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this picture, but this is a picture of George W. Bush and Ellen DeGeneres, which if you think about it, they represent, at least politically, very opposite ends of the spectrum, Right? And I mean, we can, I mean, there, I'm sure there are some people that disagree with both of them and whatever ideas. I'm not, I'm not here to like, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not up here to tell you who to vote for, right? I'm just like up here and I'm telling you that these two people are opposite ends. And this photo got tweeted by like somebody or whatever, and everybody was freaking out that Ellen was sitting with a conservative president. And if you watch, you can look, you can Google it and watch the whole video. I didn't want to play it, but Ellen has a very Christian response to it. And it's actually very interesting because, again, if we look at her life, we don't necessarily think of that, right? And we don't necessarily agree with, maybe we wouldn't agree with her life or whatever. Maybe we don't agree with George Bush's life, you know, whatever our opinion is. But she stands there and she talks about how just because I don't agree with somebody doesn't mean we can't sit around and make fun of the cowboys. And she says that, I think, because that's where they are. They're at a Cowboys game. And she actually admits that she was rooting for the Packers the whole time, which I thought was very funny. But I thought to myself, like, and then she mentions how she's friends with Aaron Rodgers and she's holding the new iPhone 11. That just makes me super jealous. But whatever. It probably makes Pastor Dave jealous too. But it's one of those things that you think about is like, wow, here's somebody that doesn't even claim to be a Christian, but she responded like this way. I think how often are there many times, it's easy to get along with people in this church, you know? at least to a degree, right? Because we have the same ideas. But then how often do we find an opinion we don't like and we get all worked up about it, right? But we can take that wisdom from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, of course, does respond, but he responds sometime later. Right? He responds because God's waves proves true. Jeremiah 28, 12a says sometime after. I love that the Bible doesn't give you a timeline here. I love that it says he went his way and then the next verse is sometime after. I think that, I, I honestly think God did it on purpose because if you look at all the Hebrew translations, there's no way to figure out a timeline. And I think that's perfect because it doesn't tell you how long Jeremiah waited. He could have waited weeks. He could have waited months. I mean, I think it was definitely within a year, but I'm just saying he waited some time before he had a word from God. And I think that's so important because when you have an argument or you have a problem that has happened, 
if you step away from it and you're looking for God's word, it's not, it might not come 24 hours later. It might not come within the few minutes. But Jeremiah knew. He was like, God's way is going to prove true in this matter, and I will simply wait. And wait he did, and he had a great response coming up later. And he said, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. As we have that highlighted there, they shall serve him. And I bring this up because God's way proves true in any one of our lives, regardless of how much we're going to resist him. You know, we even have a great story like Paul. If you're not familiar with uh, Paul, who used to be called Saul in the Bible, he was persecuting Christians. And he thought that he could persecute Christians and he could do like anything he wanted. And then God comes through in a big way of, you know, just basically his salvation story is he, God's kicking down the door. Right? And if you read that story, ask somebody here, you can read that story, fantastic story. But God's way proves true because Jeremiah knew that no matter what Hananiah tried to do, God had played this out. And this is another lesson that we can learn from Jeremiah in his life is how often do we get upset about something, whether it be politically, maybe in our own home, our marriage, or financially, there are issues that happen. And when you think about it, God's behind it all. You know, I hate to break it to you, but when it comes down to it, whether you, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, whether there's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, God is behind it all. And that can be hard to swallow sometimes because you look at a life or you look at what they're doing and maybe you disagree with some of it. But God's way proves true and he's behind it. And he's saying to them, he's saying, no matter what you did, I put oppression on the Israelites because I need their attention. And Hananiah thought he could change the path. He thought he could change the course of history. But guess what? The only person that changes the course of history is me. That's what God's saying. He's saying, even the beasts of the field, they shall serve him. Not like, hey, it's probably going to happen. No, maybe it'll happen if I get around to it. No, they shall serve him. And this is huge to an Israelite at the time. Because you have to remember, this is a Babylonian, an enemy of theirs. They are in captivity. And, he's, and God comes in and he says, he says, I am in control of this. I have put Nebuchadnezzar. May I even say that I'm using Nebuchadnezzar. Does this mean that maybe God uses unsaved people in our lives? I think so. I think the Bible would say that. And so we have that idea here. But no matter what, luckily the story doesn't end here. We continue on because God, whatever brokenness is in our life, Right? We talked about how Jeremiah dealt with this clinical depression. He dealt with these problems. But no matter what, God buys back our brokenness. Whether it be the broken yoke bars or the oppression that the Israelites were feeling at this time, this is just a chapter later. We can see Jeremiah 29, 11 here. Many of you probably know this verse. If you haven't memorized it in Awana or whatever, if you're new to Christianity, it's a good verse to look up. Um, I also have a picture over here. It ends up on a lot of inspirational posters, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's often memorized. It's often uh, figured out. I mean, I can see it all over the place. And I'm not hating on inspirational posters. I'm sure many of us have this verse around our house, and that's totally fine. I'm not hating on them. But I will say that lots of times with these inspirational posters, when it comes to, this is a great example of God buying back our brokenness. But there's also the side of lots of times our inspirational posters are just like, they're verses that show what God does for us, but not our side of the bargain. Not our side of the idea of serving him. Because 
I could ask 29.11, you guys might know it, but is there anyone in here that knows 29.12, the very next verse? 29.12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. There's this idea of he has plans and he has a great plan for you, but he just wants you to call upon his name. He wants you to pray to him and then he will hear you. So it's this idea that 29.12 isn't often plastered on our walls, but it's this idea that he really wants you to come to him. That's our side of the bargain, right? When I say, like, not that we have, we don't do things. Let me be very clear. We don't work to receive our salvation, but we do believe. We do come to him, and we bring him our brokenness. Just like with Jeremiah, somebody that honestly was clinically depressed, had a lot of problems, he was thrown in jail. He was constantly persecuted. He was thrown in a sewer for like two years. Just lived there because the king wanted nothing to do with him. And God was using him. Because even though, I mean, I would argue that maybe he had one of the hardest life of any prophet. You know, that's debatable, I think. We'll let the theologians figure that out. But when it comes to God buying back our brokenness, Jeremiah is a classic example. This idea of buying back is a fancy term for it, one we learned in Bible college, right? Redemption. You might know this word if you've been in the Christian circle for a while. If you haven't, that's all it means. You're buying back brokenness. We think of a redeemed situation. Uh, Constantly, I like to think of the athlete that maybe breaks his leg, right? I know many, many stories of athletes, right, that are playing soccer, they're doing their whole life, it just revolves around it, right? And then they break a leg, And, you know, they say to themselves, oh, well, God wanted me to break my leg so that I could spend more time with him. And I'm not even saying that it's not necessarily true. And we can argue all we want about, like, how that actually happened. Me, personally, I'm a little more, I'm kind of like a doubting Thomas. I'm like, or that's just physics. Like, you jumped, like, 60 feet in the air and landed and turned at the same time. That's going to snap your leg, right? You know what I mean? That's kind of me where I'm kind of, I look more of, like, the physical, natural world. But either way, God's going to redeem that situation, right? God's going to take that brokenness and do something beyond what you can imagine. Regardless of how it happened, regardless what happens in your, in your life, God's going to take it and he's going to redeem it. He's going to buy back that brokenness. You know, as a broke college student myself, I can't help but think of a very good um, store that I think Jesus would shop at, and that's the, un, the unbeatable Aldi, right? Aldi is a great place. I mean, it's a little annoying that I have to bag my own groceries, but, you know, first world problem. I'll get over it. But all he has is guarantee. I see it all on all their products that they replace the product and refund your money. And obviously, you know, there's no cash value to salvation or anything like that. But I think it's it's this idea that our brokenness in our life that God buys back, understand that he's not just like repairing it. He's not just covering it up. He's giving you a full refund. He's replacing the product completely. He's taking your life, whatever brokenness it is. Maybe it's something you did in your past that you just can't get past. Maybe there's a a broken relationship within your family that you feel like you just can't fix. And I would think that as we look ahead, right, the new year is coming. And I know, like, I don't know, like most of America, we're all going to go buy our gym equipment and we're all going to buy whatever we need to get our physical bodies back in shape after we just feasted for a month and a half right? 
but it's this idea of where is our spiritual life? Are there broken things in our life that we're just not willing to give up to God? Because we learned, you know, we, we learned just a couple minutes ago that God's way is gonna come through anyways. He wants to have, he wants to move in your life. And are we gonna continue to just resist that? Or are we gonna move through it? And are we gonna allow God to work in our life? God buys back our brokenness and he redeems it. And, you know, a great example of this in Jeremiah's life is this promise that brokenness isn't just repaired or understood. Brokenness is bought and replaced by something better than you can imagine. Absolutely. Never forget this. I, you know, lots of times we talk about our sin being covered, and I understand that, and that's kind of like an Old Testament idea, Old Testament being that beginning portion of the Bible, right, the old promise, and he talks about sacrificing animals so that our sins can be covered. But then God changes everything on his head, and he has a New Testament, right, a new promise, a new covenant, which actually is an amazing fact right now because Jeremiah is the first person to bring the new covenant. He's the first person to announce it. And when you look at Jeremiah's life, I really encourage you, you look at his entire life, right? He's throwing dirty underwear at kings. He's bringing bad news. He's got yoke upon his shoulders. He's got this entire life where if you were a doctor at the time, you would have to put him in a suicide watch. Because he's constantly, read the book of Lamentations for like, you know, five minutes and you'll see that he was suicidal. But regardless of that brokenness, he stood there and he said, what's the point of my life? Like, what is the point of me being here? God said, you know what, I'm going to take your brokenness and I'm going to change it. In chapter 31, we have this phrase. This is the very first announcement. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I hope this rings true to your life today, because you just celebrated it about four days ago. Jesus saw, or God saw what was going on. He had this system, right? And he had this system with the Israelites and, you know, the people just rejected it. And God had every right to turn his back. Every right. He's a holy being. Lots of times we talk about hell being the place where all the bad people go. I have a breaking news for you. Hell is the default choice. It is the default place that every single person deserves to go because God is holy and no one can stand before him. And so he set up his system to have sacrifices and there was ways to pay tribute to God because he was trying to bring people back to him. And Jeremiah was preaching this, right? And they were stuck in captivity. Israelites were stuck in captivity because of this and because they would not just turn to God. And then he told Jeremiah, he said, hey, I don't care how broken your life is. I know you're doing all this work for me, but guess what? I got big news for you. I will be their God and they will be my people. I'm flipping the switch, I'm flipping everything you know about religion, as you call it, on its head. Because that's the great thing about Christianity. You can call it a religion, the philosophers do all the time, but I'll tell you right now, Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. And if you don't know that, please speak to someone at this church and they'll tell you about it. Because it's a relationship that I constantly have with my God as I go back and forth. And I go to God and I say, you know what, I have brokenness in my life. 
I go to God and I say, hey, God, I'm not leading my house as I should. Have I been meeting with devotions for my wife? Have I been meeting and talking about those things? No, because I'm too busy with school, right? I'm too busy at chiropractic school. I don't have time for that kind of life. I'm going to have to let my wife do her own spiritual walking, right? And she has her own spiritual relationship, of course, but it's this idea where I was called to be the head of the household and lead the household. And if I can't do it with just my wife, what if I when I have kids? Am I going to be too busy working? Am I going to be too busy? It's this whole thing. And he's saying here that the difference here in Christianity is that it's a relationship, and that's the genius about everything the one last thing is that it's great because Christianity also, against all other religions, right, it's not, hey, every other religion would say, hey, you have to do something, and then you come to God, right? You have to find your own spiritual self, and then you, I don't know, you hit nirvana, or you find your own spiritual self, and then this happens, right? It's God, it's, it's like this act first, and then God, and that's all flipped, because God says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will remember their sin no more. This isn't just a cover-up. This is a complete remodel. We're knocking the system down. All that brokenness in your life, we're knocking it down. We're rebuilding. Christianity is something that says, you know what? Believe in God first, and then the rest will come. I have a story I want to share. I went to Word of Life right after high school. Um, if you don't know, it's a small Bible college up in the Adirondacks. And I had a, uh, they have guest speakers come in, and they teach the classes. And I had this pastor teach. And, again, I don't mean to be, like, you know, I don't want to throw, like, opinions out there or whatever, how you feel. But this story that he shared just really always stuck with me. There was a kid that he was doing youth group with. And he was probably, well, it, it wasn't youth group. It was, like, some adult ministry because he was, like, 21, 22 years old. And this pastor, and this kid ends up getting saved, right? And he says, hey, I love what that Jesus is about. I want to continue my life in him can we meet? And the pastor's like, absolutely, we'll come to your house. And he's like, yeah, I live in this apartment, meet me there, right? The pastor goes to this apartment, walks in, and the place is completely baked. And what I mean by that is the guy smoked a ton of weed, okay? Like, again, I'm not trying to, like, you know, be, you know, controversial or anything, but I'm just saying, this is the story that I got. And one thing that's hilarious to me, because I know many of us would, we'd be like, all right, well, Gosh, this is the first thing that's got to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what's amazing is this pastor told this story about all he did was he looked past it and they just read the word of God together. They just sat and they read the Bible consistently, consistently over and over again. And again, this was a point where his smoking was a problem. He was smoking a ton of other stuff and it was a problem for him, especially because he was a slave to it, right? This guy was a slave to it. He spent all his money on it, he, all this stuff. But the pastor didn't really mention it. And I'm not saying that, you know, our lives should continually grow and change as we work through it, but the pastor didn't really mention it. They just talked about it. They just talked about the word of God, and they talked about how he wants to live, you got to live for Christ, and you want to do all these things to please Christ, right? And then what happened afterwards, one day he showed up to the house, and the guy looked right at the pastor, and he says, hey, I think this stuff is controlling me. Do you think I should quit? And I just think that's incredible. Because so many of us, yeah, I know, like, you know, that's the smoking, whatever, but so many of us have something else where, oh, you know, somebody walks in and we're like, yo, that is not Christianity. Because I have a box of what God is, and you're not really fitting that, so let's mold that. You know, and, you know, that's, that's people that come into the, maybe they're newcomers into the church. And I just want to tell you that if you're new here or whatever, please understand that, like, the details come later. 
What I want you to know is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He said to you, I will remember your sin no more. He said, hey, Will Krems, I'm going to remember your sin no more. I'm going to take your brokenness, and not only am I going to buy it from you, right, because it was paid at a price. Don't think it was free. I sent my son to die on the cross. Dave, Dave talked about it just a couple weeks ago, right, that there was an incarnation birth. There was a, a beautiful birth that happened about four days ago, right, that we celebrated. And then, of course, on Easter, he rose from the grave. And so Christianity is a relationship, and don't you ever forget that. And I love this church because I really see that in this church. Honestly, I've been, I've, I love that Angelica's had the uh, opportunity to be the church secretary here. I've really enjoyed it, and I've been involved in the youth group, and I've been able to teach kids, hey, it's a relationship. I get it. Like, lots of times, me, especially I'm working with middle schoolers, you know what I mean? I get it. They want to play ultimate Frisbee. They're not huge about, like, you know, speaking, you know, listening to somebody speak for 20 minutes. I get that. But I tell them, hey, it's important, and if you need, like, anything you have, any baggage you have, right, just come, bring the brokenness, bring it to the feet of Jesus. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. He's going to take it. He's going to throw it on his shoulders, and he's going to hang up on the tree, and he's going to die for it, and that's it. A couple months ago, um, or about a month ago, I was able to do an all-nighter with the youth group. It was called Reverb. It was, hand, uh, it was hosted by Word of Life. Um, and it was an all-nighter event that, you know, there was a gospel message preached at a hockey game, and then we went to, like, a trampoline park and all this fun stuff. But the important part was that we were at a hockey game, and the gospel message was given, and over 400 kids heard the gospel of Christ. And honestly, a lot of them accepted Christ as their Savior. And you might be like the doubting Thomas, kind of like I am. Well, you know, are they going to do anything with that? That's, that's really not any of your business. Hopefully, they will get plugged into churches. And I think the big thing here is let's look at our own church. Let's look at our youth. Was there any youth here that accepted Jesus Christ, and now we need to work on that, right? And not just change, not say like, oh, hey, kid, you're way too loud, so we got to fix that. Because, you know, in church, we sit in our pews, and we just sit around. I grew up in a church like that. I grew up in a church that was a killjoy church just like that. And so I just want to show you this video of um, that night because I had, again, I had an amazing opportunity to just be able to reach out to kids. And honestly, I just show them, hey, the gospel message is important, but you know what's also important? Having a relationship. Let's see if I can reflect the relationship I have with Christ through this. So. Hey. Hi. Sorry, hey, Sam's kind of loud. Hey, little man, say hi. There you go. Hi. Uh, we're all so excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, we're all, and it's currently 4.54, and we're all happy to be here. What's your name? Raindrops rolling off my brim. Street lights got the pavement glistening. Touchdown, I fall into your arms. Right where I belong, your everlasting arms. And where would I be without you? I'll be packing my bags when I need to stay. I'll be chasing every breeze that blows my way. I'll be building my Of the night, it's yeah. currently uh, what is it, 12.04. How are we feeling? Good! Yeah. 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 Everybody, in the town of three, say hi, Seneca community.
Check-in, 12.55 it is. We're currently eating pizza at 12.55. What were you doing at 12.55? Huh? I was eating pizza. Uh, let's go uh, check in with some of our members here. Uh, what do you think of the pizza tonight? Um, it's pretty great. Yeah? It's the best pizza I've ever had. Best pizza ever had. Well, hey, you got it from the mouth of the horse. The, hor the horse's mouth? The horse's mouth? <laughs> All right, and that's enough. This is uh, Will Crimes. Currently, uh, 1:50 in the morning, and uh, if you uh, have a weak stomach, you're gonna want to look away. I uh, just received my first battle wound. It's pretty gruesome. There it is. Ooh. And I am yours forever. You saved me. Remade me. Where would I So it's uh, currently 231. How are we feeling? Yeah! You can see him getting tired as it goes through. my way. building my kingdom just to watch it fade away. trip was so awesome and a lot of you guys like you know I know uh, Joel was able to drive and um, there's other people that sponsored kids to go on that trip and um, you know it, it'll happen again you know next November um, just an amazing trip and that's really when you get time there's so much there's a good amount of downtime where you can just talk to kids and be like hey what's the brokenness in your life and I can tell them that you let God buy back your brokenness it's as simple as that Whatever it is you got, you put it right at the cross, and he buys it back, and he deals with it, Whether, whatever it be. So with that, if you guys just want to pray with me, we'll end it here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity to just, I don't know, have this group, just have them listen to me. Who am I? It's an incredible experience to be able to sit down and study your word and go through it and be able to experience it. It's incredible to be able to read Jeremiah's life and see somebody that 
I guess most of us would put him in the, the, the Bible Hall of Fame, but yet he was depressed. He was suicidal. He lamented. He thought many times, why am I even born? And yet he took that. You took that brokenness and used it for amazing things. You had his life specifically. You brought him the first good news, the first time ever anyone has ever heard it, that you were going to flip everything on its head and you were going to come down to earth. Just like we celebrated a couple days ago. You were going to come down to earth as a child. God was going to take on a body and you were going to live and you were going to have an incredible life and you were going to die for us on the cross along with our baggage. And then even if that's not enough, you put the final stamp on death by raising again three days later. And I pray for anybody here that has any more questions, because that's what it's about. I, like, I would love for them to believe in Jesus Christ, absolutely. But even if they're just curious, hopefully they'll get connected with somebody here. They can use a connect card, or they'll find me, or Pastor Dave, or somebody to talk about their life, because it's not about being perfect. It's not about having it all together. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship, and in a relationship, you exchange information, you talk things out, you work on it together. I pray for this church. God, I love this church. Thank you so much that I was able to move up here. I pray for these people as they go throughout their lives in this weird, whatever you call this time between Christmas and New Year's, as we all figure out what day we woke up on. We thank you so much for everything you do. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.